Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode number four, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. that's K-I-S-T. And as always, here to join me and rag on your team is a good buddy of mine, Kyle Posey. Follow him on Twitter at KP underscore show, and he'll tell you why your team sucks. Kyle, how you doing, brother? Doing well, man. Finally had a victory Monday where half the team didn't get injured, so things are going good. <laughs> That's good, man. So let, let's let's dig right in. And, and we have some some news to deal with up top that's kind of like out of the range of, of what we do. This is a film review show where we talk about what we saw in our watch throughs. But sometimes there is news that supersedes all of that. And unfortunately, this is one of those times uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. The Tennessee Titans experienced a breakout in a positive COVID test. Uh, as we record this on Tuesday night, we know that three players and five personnel with the Titans have tested positive. Uh, in response to that, they have shut down the facilities uh, until at least Saturday. Uh, seeing as they played the Vikings, Minnesota is also shutting down their facilities until further notice. The Titans were slated to play the Steelers on Sunday. The Vikings were set for a showdown with the Texans. It looks like they'll still power through and play those games. At least that's what it looks like now. And there's a possibility that one may get moved to Monday. We'll see. Again, if this ages itself, we apologize. I don't want to get too far into the weeds of how the NFL could adjust these schedules and move bye weeks around or whatever and have this age instantly. But Kyle, this is the first major test for the league with COVID, and it's a doozy that affects multiple teams in the middle of the season. How do you think this is going to go? Do you think they're prepared for this thing? What are, what are your thoughts on, on this? I feel like the NFL spent the first six or so weeks since training camp started patting themselves on the back whenever they would update these COVID tests. And now that something is happening, it seems like there's kind of a, oh crap, what do we do now type of moment. So I feel like it's a little bit naive to think that this wouldn't have happened. I don't. I wonder, I imagine that they thought that this would happen later on in the season. So it's week three and we're already here. Like there's already a game in jeopardy. They're probably going to play. But I imagine we're going to see more of these come up because it feels like it's inevitable with what's going on in the world. So it's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. But I just wonder what's going to happen. Let's say, for example, there is a delay with the Titans and the Steelers and all of a sudden the Titans best players are out. Now what? And that's going to cost somebody at the worst possible time. And down the line here, what happens if one of your star players is out? And it's a playoff clinching game. Then what do you do? So the NFL is going to have a lot of questions. And yeah, I, I don't know what the answer will be. I don't know that they know the answer will be either. Yeah. And, and you think there's only even if they move bye weeks and they reschedule things, there's only so many bye weeks 
in a season. And unless you move the Super Bowl back, there's not a whole lot you can do. So this is going to be interesting to see how the league does handle it, if they power through and it just kind of goes away, or if uh, more cases pop up and then you're dealing with a, a more serious issue. Of course, of course, we hope everybody uh, affected makes a, uh, a full recovery and doesn't have any lasting effects uh, from it, of course, is things more important than football. But we are here to talk about football. So let's get into it. Every week, we do our air it out top three quarterback performances of the week. I rank three guys, one through three, and my top performance of the week. I mean, we got to talk about what we saw last night on Monday Night Football. Marquee matchup between the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is my number one. And I don't know what you can say about Mahomes that has been said before, but we're going to say some stuff and you're going to listen to us say some stuff. So that's how that's going to work. 31 for 42 on the night, 385, four touchdowns. He has 26 yards and a touchdown on the ground and five total touchdowns. Does it against a top three defense in the league this year and a perennially top five defense? The Chiefs are 100% in the Ravens' heads right now. And for good reason, they were the only team with two Ws over Lamar Jackson in the NFL. They make it 0-3 for the Ravens with Lamar now. And, and look, I, I know this quote-unquote film review show. I, I don't need the All-22 to tell you what Mahomes did. We all saw it. Instead, I wanted to share a take with you, Kyle, and get your thoughts. So I'm sitting there watching the game, scrolling through the Twitter timeline as things are getting ugly. And I come across a, a tweet from James Light. Um, who, if you gentle listener don't know who that is, uh, he's a very popular, smart guy on, on coaching Twitter. I learned a lot from him. He puts breakdowns up there all the time. He tweets, quote, styles make fights. Not sure the Ravens will ever be serious contenders with the way that they're constructed. Defense plays a ton of man and can't match up with KC. Offense can't keep pace with KC and control the clock, end quote. Now, I take a little bit of an issue with the term serious contenders. I think they can be that even if they're in the Chiefs' shadow. In terms of breaking down the type of matchup, I think he might be on to something. Like, what what was your initial reaction to that take? I feel like you're selling the Ravens pretty short, and you're also not giving enough credit to what the Chiefs did. So mm. the Ravens, they're going to blitz you, and we all know that. And Mahomes just tore them up. What that quote is really was really leaving out is the Ravens had Mahomes pinned up quite a bit. Like they had their hands on him and Mahomes is running out of sacks. There's no way to coach like to coach around that. He probably ran out of like three or four sacks in the first half. And as soon as he does that, you're in man coverage, you're scrambling. It's already four seconds that you're having to cover. And now there's probably going to be a receiver open. So and then you're seeing some of the throws that he's making. Who else is making these throws? Seriously, like right. the, the touchdown on the corner route. And then he's just flicking his wrist. He makes it look so effortless, so easy. So I, I don't think I agree with that take. I mean, I understand where, he, where he's coming from. And yes, there are matchup issues where if there's no reason to blitz as much. Eventually, Martindale, you're going to have to adjust. But that's just not what he's going to do. And we've seen that. So and then going on the other side of the ball, I feel like the Ravens just had an off game. And they said, Lamar said after the game that they played him exactly how the Titans played him in the playoffs. And you could see that. And the Ravens fans were just complaining all game how they got away from the run too quick. And I think they did. I think they probably should have ran Lamar a little bit more. But the Ravens just had an off night. I think it was as simple as that. But, yeah, they didn't They didn't do what they needed to do. And there was a real difference. You can't get down to Mahomes that early and just expect to be able to come back. I do think it's wild to say that Baltimore can't match up in, in man coverage with them when you've got guys like Marlon Humphrey, who wears number 44 and is still somehow a baller, and and you have Marcus Peters. But like I think in that aspect, he's, he's right. I don't think they can do like their calling card. They can't blitz like they want to blitz. So the two things that they're really known for, their, their ability to man cover, their ability to blitz – 
they're really not able to do against the Chiefs, at least effectively. And then when you're playing, man, you're also allowing Patrick Mahomes to scramble free as a bird and pick up crucial crucial conversions. So I do think there are some good points there. Um, against the Blitz, by the way, on Monday night, Mahomes was 17 of 20 for 240 yards, three touchdowns with a 156.3 passer rating. So if your strength is man coverage and you can't man up against them, and then your other calling card is blitzes and guys coming from the second level, but you get torched when you do that, like what do you have? You have to show that you have something else in the toolbox outside of just hoping that Mahomes goes cold for long enough that your offense can catch up. So I do think there is some validity. I do think it sells the Ravens offense short. I really felt like Lamar pressed this game I don't know what that is like. That's not going to happen every time against the Chiefs. At least I, I hope not because it would be a better matchup. I don't think this was everything the Ravens offense is that we saw last night, right? Yeah, I think that's fair as well. So pressed is the perfect way to describe what Lamar did. So you can see that the edge rushers from the Chiefs, they did a really good job of staying contained, like keeping him in the pocket because mm-hmm. as soon as he saw pressure last night, his eyes would just drop. And we're not used to seeing that from Lamar. And another thing, just to the point, I don't think we've really seen the Ravens enough in that type of game script where they're behind and they have to play this style of football. So what are you going to (laughs) do to beat the Ravens? Have Patrick Mahomes. That's what the plan is. And going back to the other side of the ball, the Ravens, like they had a couple third downs where they just had coverage bus. For example, there was one one time where they blitzed and C.H., he comes out of the backfield wide open because the guy is covering, like faking like he's blitzing, comes from the other side of the line of scrimmage, and he can't get through the traffic. So that's where you have to just kind of kind of change up what you do in man coverage. But yeah, I think there's there's a lot going on in that game. And I, mean, I feel like we just have to give more credit to the Chiefs here. And of course, we're going to react to every single win and loss. But we both picked the Ravens to win the, the AFC as, as the one seed. Has that changed for you? Or do you think that they go on a tear after this, you know, trying to show daddy, a.k.a. Kansas City, sorry, no disrespect, Ravens, uh, that we're still here and we'll be back? Do you, do you think they can take that number one seed? So the Ravens better not take any disrespect to them being called the Chiefs calling them daddy because they what can they say like the Chiefs have right. owned them in those t- couple matchups yeah that's that's tough I don't want to overreact because it is week three and there's so much more football to be played the Ravens and the Chiefs that we see today are probably not going to be the same team that we see in December so I'm not going to change my pick right now. But ask me again in 10 weeks, and I'm sure there will be a different answer. What about you? What do you think? Oh, man. I don't know. It's a long season, man. And like I said, I don't want to react to, to, to one game like that. I think the more important thing is is that the Ravens are able to handle the Steelers in their division and, and take care of that. Because I think the Steelers are legitimate threats there, too. I think they're going to be a good team and could take a bite out of the Ravens and kind of knock them back a little. So, I mean, I had the Ravens going like, you know, probably something like 14-2, and 13-3. Not a whole lot of room left for... Uh, for error after this loss uh, to the Chiefs. It was a big one. Let, let's go on to another big game from, from last week for the second quarterback on my list here. So top three quarterback performances. My number two, I mean, Russell Wilson. And I, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I'll put Russell Wilson on this list 16 weeks if I have to, and I may even put him on there during the bye because he is 100% the lead dog for MVP right now, and he shows it week in, week out. So this makes three weeks straight that he's on here. There's not much new we can say about him, too, along with Mahomes. 315 yards through the air, five touchdowns. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett both go over a buck with Lockett hauling in three of those touchdowns. Seahawks win 38-31, and that's even with DK Metcalf having a Leon Lett moment at the goal line, and you know we can talk about that later. But sticking with Russ, he is the odds-on favorite for MVP 
Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, probably Josh Allen. He jumps ahead of Lamar Jackson right now as far as the odds go. So those guys are sitting in the backseat bearing witness to the magic that is Russ. And again, not much else to say. Uh, This game just continues to highlight the problems with the Cowboys as well that they're having in their secondary. You just watch the first 43-yard touchdown to lock it. And this is just the classic play-action shot territory for Russ. It's first and 10 on the Dallas 43. The Seahawks love to take a stab at a big play right around that midfield area. I put this play up on my timeline at Michael Kist NFL if you want to see the all 22 view, by the way. But they dial up a version of like Yankee or Burner or whatever people call it these days. That means play action. Yeah, post on the one side from Lockett. And usually you have a deep over from Metcalf on the other side. But instead, he he runs what looks like is going to be a deep over. And then Metcalf gears it down and breaks it flat to the outside for something I believe that's called the Miami route. And, it, and if you watch that play, you see that not only is Metcalf wide open, he torched Daryl Worley. Uh, a beautiful route, by the way, that I was told it was impossible for him to run with his hips. But also, Lockett has nobody near him like the corner doesn't run with him the safeties are in a trance there's nobody there so Russ did get some help from a bad busting secondary but when you throw five touchdowns it's hard to nitpick about context Kyle the Cowboys have put up offensively 71 points in two weeks and they only have one win to show for it thanks to the Falcons treating an onside kick like a hand grenade one and two is a rough look for them right now and Mike McCarthy are you saying you're surprised that Mike McCarthy was not the answer (laughs) Who could have possibly seen this coming? So, yeah, man, they have a high school secondary. They do not look good right now. They are they just don't look like they know what's coming. And as you said, the play action shots, if you're on the couch watching that game and you've watched any Seahawks game over the last couple of years, you know what they're going to do right there. Yep. And you probably know Russ is going to complete it even if you know it's coming. And that's probably the most frustrating part. But Dallas did not do a good job of challenging challenging Seattle at all. And it's so difficult to guard Metcalf, man. And he did have that Leon Lett blunder, which was hilarious. And I'm glad that Twitter dragged him for it. But man, he is such a good player. Like they are a perfect matchup. And I don't think Lockett gets anywhere near the type of credit he should because he's a very, very good wide receiver. But yeah, they're tough to stop. Russ can do it all, man. Every time he passes the ball, the ball just drops out of heaven. It's so beautiful, man. He's such a good quarterback. So let's go to number three of my top three quarterback performances of the week. I'm going to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, now here's, here's the thing. Just imagine that I did the right thing, the, the statistical thing, and, and I put like Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen here at number three, who uh, are probably more deserving. No hate on them at all. Huge games from both, especially for Allen, who we had major questions about, but all that's been covered on Monday Football Monday, the Oddcast. But look, any chance that I get to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick, I am going to take it. And in, in covering the Eagles, I know how, how much of a hot hand that this guy can get. He torched him with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2018. Then he goes to the Miami Dolphins and he gets Devontae Parker a new contract basically in one game. Fitzpatrick in this one against the Jags last Thursday, 18 of 20 for 160, two touchdowns, added 38 tough yards on the ground, four first down runs and a touchdown. So Fitz for me, the guy's just a legend. Like, and his volume stats are up there with some Hall of Fame quarterbacks. There's a pretty, actually, honestly, a pretty good argument against volume stats. But there have been so many quarterbacks drafted to his teams, but he has outlasted so many of them. I know the Tua era is coming, but I'm enjoying this for as long as I can. And I actually have a question for you, Kyle, off the back of this: Who who is a quarterback that isn't a bona fide franchise quarterback that you just have like an irrational? love for and it can be from any era 
And why is it Ryan Fitzpatrick? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, man. He's like Fitzpatrick is just like a streaky shooter in basketball because when yeah. he gets hot, he's just like fun to watch. He's very fun to watch. You mentioned the, the hard earned yards on the ground. He, that's true. Like he's running, he's scrambling. It's it can be third and six, and there can be nothing there. He's waiting. He's sitting in the pocket, hoping that a receiver comes open. If that doesn't happen, he's going to run, and he's not going to slide either. He's going to dive for the first down. He's going to come up, and his helmet's going to be all off, and his beard is going to be poking out. But man, I, I can imagine that his teammates love watching him play. If I had a quarterback that I would guess, it, it would probably be way back. And you know this guy, Randall Cunningham. Man, I used to love uh, watching that dude play. He would just air it out, like air it out. And he had a cannon. But, yeah, Fitzpatrick is so fun to watch, man. He he makes plays. And I think that's why he outlasts people. He makes plays. And obviously, you know, you hear the Ivy League, so he's a smart player. He always makes the correct decision. That's not who he is at all. <laughs> like, that that's, couldn't be further from the truth. But he does give his guys a chance. And he does know where to go with the football. It's just a matter of will it get there. But he was really, really accurate against a Jack secondary. That's not very good. But – you still have to perform, and he did that. It's it's funny, man. Eagles, Dolphins last year, they're in the red zone, and he scrambled. He's looking around, and he decides to just take off with it. And there's Malcolm Jenkins sitting right there like by the goal line or whatever, and Malcolm Jenkins comes up and pops the snot out of him. And Ryan Fitzpatrick gets up. He's got this big old crap-eating grin on his face looking up at the scoreboard to watch the replay because he's just having the time. It was like, this guy just got his head knocked off, and he's like laughing at you. Like, that's demoralizing to me if I'm a defense, and he's torching you through the air while he's doing it. Just a tough son of a gun. I don't understand how durable this guy is, man. He's been doing it for so long, and he never slides. He never backs off a throw. He's just – he's a legend to me. All right, so uh, enough about the the studs. Let's get to the duds. So – after the top three quarterback performances of the week, we're going to go to a couple of duds here, and I'll make them quick. Washington football team quarterback Dwayne Haskins ain't it. He's inaccurate. He's not taking the shots when they're dialed up for him. Three interceptions on the day. First one was high. Second one was late. And the third one, I don't know what he expected to happen. He is really struggling out there, and it makes the loss by the Eagles to them even more embarrassing than we first may have thought. And for the second dud of the week, I'll go with Sam Darnold of the Jets. He was abysmal in week one against the Bills. He bounced back with a better game against the 49ers, but it didn't matter because they got walked on, and he was a detriment to the team in the 36-7 loss to the Colts. Again, a lot of this is on old bug eyes, Adam Gase, but three interceptions from Darnold. He had two interceptions returned for touchdowns. He got baited on another in the end zone, just bleeding points at every turn. This is going to be a long season, and I can't imagine Gase lasting there much longer. It is time to move on. And if you can salvage something out of your first round investment, I think you have to try to do it at this point in the season because it's only getting worse and worse. I mean, Kyle, is there anything else to say about the Jets other than move them to Toronto? I mean, we've said this before. How How is Gase still employed? What has Gase done other than work with Peyton Manning, but with like one of the greatest all-time quarterbacks? Yeah, let's give Gase credit for working with Peyton Manning because <laughs> nobody else could have possibly seen or developed Manning into a quality quarterback. Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know how he's still around. I don't know how much longer. I don't know why he even has this long of a leash, how he even was hired in the first place. Woody Johnson said that he was an offensive genius, and that's why he hired him. I can promise you that is not the case, and anybody else who has eyes will say the same thing. My question to you is, do you have to start Haskins no matter what this year? Like, Because if you pull him, you're essentially giving up on him. It's week three. This is, quote-unquote, his first season, but 
you have to kind of see what you have. And I'm not making any excuses for him because he has been downright terrible. There is no way around that. But do you pull the plug on him now? And yeah, just where do you go from there? I mean, their, their backup is Kyle Allen, Oof. right? And then they then they bring in, uh, isn't their offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, who was with the Panthers with Kyle Allen there in, in Carolina there for, there for a moment. So if there is a change, like I think it's because of that connection. I think Scott may go, hey, I can probably get Kyle to run this offense a little bit more efficiently, uh, efficiently and try to salvage the season. But you do have a point. How quickly do you want to pull the plug? Now, Ron Rivera is not tied to Dwayne Haskins. True. You know, th- their front office isn't tied to Dwayne Haskins. They had a big shakeup there. So I think that makes the leash shorter because they're not tied to this guy. So I think this goes on for a little while more, maybe a couple more games. But I don't understand how you can continue to put him out there. Then, you know what? If Kyle Allen goes out there and struggles, you put Haskins back in after taking a few weeks off, sitting down with him and whatnot, let him kind of reset and then come back in and see what he's got at the end of the season and then make a decision from there. But either way, I'm looking for a quarterback at the end of the season regardless. So I don't care what you do, but you got to do something. You got to make some type of move. Do you, do you agree with that kind of philosophy? Yeah, like this is this is probably it for Haskins. But you, I would imagine you want to see what he can do in a full season. And for those of you who want Alex Smith to play, he can barely walk. So that is not going to be a realistic option. Yeah. And credit to him for what he's done. It's amazing. But like, let's let's be realistic about what we're talking about here. When we come back here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, we're going to get to the defensive side of the ball. We're going to talk about Kyle's defensive MVPs and some other quick thoughts from around the league. That's coming up next here on the Palpably Unfair podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode number four, SB Nation, bringing it to you, Michael Kist here with Kyle Posey. And now we're going to switch sides. So we did top three quarterback performances of the week. We did some duds of the week. Let's get to some defensive MVPs as we do every week. And we're going to go through each level of the defense. We're going to go defensive line. We're going to go linebacker. We're going to go into the secondary. First guy, defensive line. This is a guy I told you all like, hey, man, you got to watch this freaking, you got to watch this game. And you did, and you came away impressed. Who is your defensive lineman MVP for the week? I'm going with the Titans' first-round pick from 2019, Jeffrey Simmons. Everybody knew he was a really good player coming out. It was just a matter of would he be able to come back healthy. And early returns are, yes, indeed, he is healthy. So his stat line, four tackles, he had three quarterback hits, he had a sack, he also had four run stops, which all those stats sound great. Those are amazing. That does not do justice for how well he played. Seriously, like he was running through the Vikings offense. He destroyed them, destroyed that line. He was a wrecking ball. 
And the common theme this season is play the Vikings and you're going to play very well. I tweeted out a video of four of Simmons pass rushes at KP underscore show. Check that out. But I could have easily made it 10 plays. As I mentioned, he was running through 300 pound men and making it look effortless. Simmons plays with a ton of violence. He's already athletic. And what you saw on Sunday against the Vikings was that he had a plan as a pass rusher. And not a lot of people do that. Simmons used a couple different moves with his hands as far as chops, swim, hand swipes to get by the Vikings interior offensive linemen. They really stood no shot, man. It was crazy. So the Titans, that front is dangerous with Clowney. And now Simmons, man, if he plays anywhere near the level that he played against the Vikings, just look out. So the, the beautiful thing about this, you, you mentioned posting the, the the clip on Twitter and saying you could have used a lot more clips. I posted a full 50 second clip and I still had to cut things. Wow. So I know exactly what you're talking about because he made so many doggone plays against the run and the pass. And I, a buddy of mine, uh, Paul Kaharski from Titans Media, he quote tweeted it and he said, you know, that he's going to see some more doubles. And normally I'd be like, yeah, of course he has to get more attention. But as I saw uh, Nate Tice point out earlier on the timeline, that's why the clowny signing is so key for them. You can't full slide to help with Simmons because you also have to account for Clowney. So it's a pick your poison situation and it really puts you in a bind. And, and I'll tell you this, I have seen a lot of Fletcher Cox in my day covering the Eagles. And I've seen a lot of draft prospects compared to Cox that just just never jibe with me. But minus like the the dominant patented club swim that, that Cox uses to destroy people. And I think it's coming along for Simmons. The fellow Mississippi State Bulldog, Jeffrey Simmons is like young Fletch to me. He's freakishly athletic for his size. He generates tremendous power in his rushes. He's a dog in pursuit. Like this guy is going to vault it. If he continues to play like this, and I know this is the second time that the Vikings offensive line has been in this category. So I, I want to be careful with this. But if he continues to play like this, like that was an elite performance. That was high level stuff doing it multiple ways in the run against the pass. It shouldn't be a shock to anyone either. I mean, the guy tore his ACL before the 2019 draft. He still went first round 19th overall. The talent was always there, and now it's on full display. People need to watch this guy. I'm telling you, he's a baller. All right, let's go to second level. We're going to go to linebackers, your defensive MVP for the week. Who is it? So I could use Fred Warner every week as my linebacker pick, but elite. he is a superstar. And that was the case last year, and I think people are starting to figure that out this year. So I chart wins for the 49ers defense, and every week Warner is either first or second. He's a perfect new-age linebacker. He doesn't shy away from contact. But he's athletic enough where he's going to make a lineman miss in a phone booth and still make the tackle at or behind the line of scrimmage. So Warner is a former safety and he looks like it, too. He really moves. He moves really, really well. He finished with four and a half tackles, had three run stops, a tackle for loss. And he had a couple nice blitzes as well that got him in the Giants backfield. So he's a complete player. He's doing it at every phase of the linebacker. So he times his stunts so well when he blitzes. He had a quarterback hit where he hit Danny Dimes and it should have resulted in an interception. And speaking of, he also had this one interception where Daniel Jones, he wasn't even looking at the receiver. It was a stick route that the Giants had beat him on earlier in the game. And this time they tried to run it again. Warner saw the play, saw the play develop, read Jones eyes. And as soon as he rose up to throw the ball, just jump the route. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. We did not have to find that out. Just just another great performance, man. He's he's a stud. And I imagine this will not be the last time we talk about Fred Warner this year. Yeah, Warner is already like up there in elite status, like top five linebacker in the league for me. I I loved him coming out. I can brag about it because that was one of my hits in the draft. We're not going to talk about the misses. And the the 49ers just roll over the Giants as they're missing QB1, RB1, RB2, tight end one, tight end two, wide receiver one, CB1, CB2, CB4, DE1, DE3, DE5, and center one. That's How crazy. How crazy is that, man? 
That's that's wild. So 49ers coming to town against uh, the Eagles this week, which is the team I cover, which, uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. All right, let, let's get to uh, the third level of the defense. Who is your defensive back MVP for the week? Okay, so I know he played the ghost of Sam Darnold, but Xavier <laughs> Rhodes looked like Xavier Rhodes on Sunday for the first time in a long time. And maybe this is just my <laughs> let's let's say it. He's back. Let's do it. Yeah. So maybe this is just me being a die. So I'm a Florida State fan. And maybe this is just me being a homer. And it's been tough sledding for the last few years. And the Seminoles got beat up on national TV. And Jalen Ramsey gave up a touchdown to Stephon Diggs over the weekend. So maybe this is just me using Rhodes to save face and going full homer here. But he did have two interceptions on Sunday. And as you mentioned, he did bait Darnold in the end zone where he yes. came off his route. He was playing like underneath cloud coverage came off, read Darnold's eyes, and then made a play and finished. And that's another thing. Like Defensive backs have been struggling to finish this year, so it was good to see Rhodes finish the play. He allowed one reception on five targets. He had another interception where it was press coverage, third and six. He did a really nice job of playing the sticks, and then he jumped the route. The ball was thrown right to him, but he finished again, and he took it to the house. So um, I just really liked him playing in that situation, and I feel like he, he looked good. He looked like a confident player. He was beat on one route. But on the one reception he did give up, he was kind of rubbed off. So it's funny how football always evens out, evens out like that. So it was really nice to see Rhodes play, man, play at a high level. So those are your three defensive MVPs. Now, now we're going to go to a new segment. So we do studs and duds for quarterbacks, but we, we, we haven't been doing it for the defensive side of the ball. And uh, we want to talk about some guys that are barbecue chicken. And if you don't know what that phrase means, then I'm, I'm sorry we might be talking over your head, but you can I just checked you can urban dictionary it without coming up <laughs> with something like crazy that doesn't like even match what we're talking about. But our barbecue chicken guys, our worst reformers, elite guys that stood out on tape that just got roasted on defense this week. I'm going to go ahead and start. I'll, I'll stick it with def, uh, defensive backs. This guy is going to get a lot of credit for the punch out on DK Metcalf's near touchdown. And I, I feel bad for going at a rookie like this uh, in a matchup like that. But I've said enough nice things about the Dallas Cowboys on this feed over the past few weeks, and they've let me down, and, and too many nice things for a 1-2 and two team, that's for sure. And as I mentioned before, one of the reasons they're struggling is their secondary, the main culprit, and, and it's really hard to pick one, a second-round rookie cornerback Trayvon Diggs out of Alabama. He's top 10 in a lot of categories where you don't want to be top 10 right now. Per PFF, among cornerbacks with at least 50% of the coverage snaps required, which gives you a pool of 70 corners around the league, he is... Fifth in targets, 22. Tied seventh in receptions allowed with 15. Third in yards allowed with 223. Ninth in passer rating when targeted with 131.4. And he's tied eighth in yards per route run allowed. Two touchdowns credit him against him. No interceptions. Only one quarterback has been docked with three touchdowns this year. Seattle beat him up. And good for him on the hustle play to knock it out at the goal line. But it's important to remember that plays like that are fluky and rare. What needs to become more rare is getting torched on the corner post because DK had about three steps on him when he pulled away and Diggs played real scared after that. He allowed DK to do whatever he wanted to do underneath after he got toasted up like that. So that's my barbecue chicken of the week uh, from the defensive backs there. And no, we're not going to talk about Nick Gary. Stop asking me, Kyle, uh, <laughs> unless, of course, it's Kyle's guy. But uh, who do you have for us today, Kyle? Yeah, so staying with Diggs there real quick, he he just can't run. And that was the case coming out. And when you yes. can't run, you are either going to play very passive, which he did after he was beat, or you're going <laughs> to find out the hard way that you can't run, which happened early on. And I was, I was a big proponent of against Diggs coming out. Just I was telling people that he's not. So, yes, he's physical. Yes, he has good ball skills, but that's not going to hide the fact that he's either A, cannot run, and B, is not like a very fluid mover. He can't really turn his hips and get in and out of breaks. 
And that's not going to be successful at the NFL level. So my barbecue chicken, a.k.a. food, who you will be feasted on in Kyle Shanahan's office. So I'm going to stay in MetLife Stadium and talk about Blake Martinez. So when Kyle Shanahan sees a mark, he humiliates them. And that's what happened. Martinez diagnosed plays on Sunday at the same speed I use whenever I'm out with my friends and it's time to grab the check. He was (laughs) just he was like a step late on every play. It was amazing to see. Too often, he would fall for the cheese that Shanahan would dangle in front of him, and that would open up passing plays for the 49ers. They're running jet sweeps, play actions, RPOs, and on Brandon Ayuk's touchdown run, they had a fullback active. He was going in motion to one side, only to come back the other way. Martinez started to sprint in that side the wrong direction. It was just funny for us to watch, man, but it's just tough sledding for Martinez on Sunday. They just ate him up. They had one play where I, they cleared out the entire field and they had Jarek McKinnon run a choice route on Martinez and it was just not pretty. He, he's just struggling to stay with anybody, man. I know, I know he's playing with the Giants and they probably are not very talented, so they have to start Martinez, but he should not be playing for a competent team. You know, I, I just realized we, we have talked about two linebackers struggling against the 49ers. We talked about Isaiah Simmons in week one for the Cardinals, really got picked on. And now we're talking about Blake Martinez. We've talked about Nick Gary a ton on this podcast and also on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast. And that's the matchup that comes next week. And uh, that might be a massacre. So if you're watching that game, just watch Nick Gary. And you'll 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 see a blind man play football, or at least try to. All right, so let's go to some quick hitting thoughts here. I'm just going to rattle off a few ones, Kyle. If you have any, feel free to add on at the end here. But uh, Colts interior defensive lineman DeForest Buckner had a day as well, four hurries, which was tied for best of the week among defensive tackles. Uh, the Colts did a great job of setting him up for success. If you're a Bears fan listening to this, keep an eye out for how they stack their line in passing situations. If there is three to a side on the defensive line, meaning from center left or center or right and there's three guys there with their hands in the dirt and one of them is DeForest Buckner they're trying to get Buckner on a one-on-one situation and that's where he really goes to town and that's what he did against the Jets uh Titans cornerback Jonathan Joseph is looking cooked after 15 years in the league speaking of which welcome to the NFL Justin Jefferson seven receptions 175 and a touchdown stellar day for him running away from dudes in working zones. Uh, he does some funky stuff. And I don't, I don't know if you watched him, but it, in his releases, when he's working on the outside, he does like this really dramatic like arm movement. And, it, and, and it's super weird. So I'm kind of interested to see how he works off of that as the season goes on and how you know defensive backs respond to that as it goes on. Uh, of course, the big question for with Jefferson was, could he work on the outside given that he was basically slot only in 2019? Quieted that a bit with his performance on Sunday. So good for Jefferson. Any other quick hitting thoughts from you, Kyle? I mean, the best players are still the best players. It was fun to see Harrison Smith make play center field and make a nice interception. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what we can do this every time for Aaron Donald. But that dude just comes up with plays at the best possible times for his team. Like that, that's what makes him so dominant. Yeah. He's he's really fun to watch too. So probably just those two that really really stood out to me. So I want to ask you another question before we get out of here. I I, I want to ask you about your best and worst teams. But the best zero three team and the worst three and zero team. So I'm kind of forcing you to have a take here. First, I'm going to give you mine and see if you agree or disagree. So my best 0-3 teams are the Atlanta Falcons and the Houston Texans. Now, with the Falcons, I I think I'm kind of implying here that Dan Quinn needs to go and maybe that team can can do a little bit better. They're in these games. They're beating up on some. They're they're playing some doggone good football for, for stretches. But then all of a sudden, Nick Foles comes in. 
throw some rainbows and they crap themselves and can't get anything done. They, they can't recover the onside kick. We know that. They played the Cowboys tough. Like, they're in these games. Their offense is putting up points. It's ridiculous that they're 0-3. It's Dan Quinn's fault. That's the only way I can put it. And the Texans, they have a really good quarterback. So he's in a bad situation. But, you know, you're going to win some games when you have quarterback play like that. My worst 3-0 and teams are the Tennessee Titans. And I kind of talked about this on Monday Football Monday. They can play with anybody, but the problem is they play with anybody. Three games with a field goal or less. So I'm very interested to see this matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers and how that goes for them. And then, of course, the Chicago Bears, who went 2-0 and with a guy they would eventually bench. And then the Falcons just can't make a play defensively against Nick Foles. And credit to Nick Foles, he made some beautiful throws too, but it was like a typical Folesian game where it's like all over the place and it somehow works out. What, what about you, Kyle? Who are you, your best and worst? You've got 3-0 and and 0-3. And My best 0-3 team, and this is cheating because they're 0-2-1, but it's the Bengals. And I think that they're competitive. They're surprisingly competitive. I like point differential, and they're only minus eight point differential in three games. They're staying in games. And I don't know if you saw Joe Burrow. I tweeted some clips about Joe Burrow on Sunday, and he played very well for considering the circumstances. So, yes, he was under pressure pretty much every drop back, and he's going to have to get used to that playing behind that line. But I thought he did a really good job of just staying alive and making plays, giving his receivers a chance. So, That was pretty promising to see from him. And I don't think that they're doing him any favors with that protection. They're just going empty every freaking play. And he's having to throw the ball within 1.5 seconds, it seems like. So I like like what I saw from him. I like what, you know, some of their players on defense, like Jesse Bates, is pretty promising as well. I like Bates, yeah. Yeah, so they're competitive. And I feel like at this point, you can't be mad at that. And, yeah, my 3-0 team is just obvious. It's the Bears. They could easily be 0-3. I don't think that they're very good at all. I don't know if they have a plan on offense. I don't know why it's so hard to throw the ball to Allen Robinson every play, but that just seems (laughs) like it's not an option for them. And yes, it probably has something to do with Mitchell Trubisky playing quarterback, but it's not like Foles came in and lit it up. Yes, they did come back and win, but I don't. Yeah, they they need a quarterback. Let's just leave it at that. Kyle is trolling me because he said, I don't know if you saw Burrow, knowing that I covered the the doggone Eagles and watched that entire crap. four hour long game all over time. Did I see Joe Burrow? Yeah, I saw Joe Burrow, Kyle. Thanks for rubbing it in. So that's going to do it for the palpably unfair podcast episode four. I'm ending it now because I'm sick of this guy. Uh, We're going to get on out of here, but make sure that you're subscribing, leaving five stars in uh, iTunes, leave a Apple podcast, leave a written review, all that good stuff. And make sure that you're tuning into all the other fantastic shows here at the SB nation NFL show. We will catch you next time. And as always, go dominate and have yourselves a day. Did I see Joe Burrow?